And like the intro said, you're listening to the award-winning Blue Jay Boys show. I got Senor Diaz to my left and Sackman right in front of me. We got a great show for you guys today. We're sorry about missing last week. There's a lot of schedule mix-ups, a lot of stuff going on, but we're going to have a really great episode for you guys today. We're all business today. We got a bunch of stuff to talk to you guys about. The national championship games for the NCAA men's and women's tournaments happened this past weekend, and both championship games ended up not being as exciting as we were expecting, I guess. The women's being a little more exciting than the men's. Um, But, you know, overall, the men's game was underwhelming, I would say. Um, Sackley, how did you feel about the tournament on the men's side? Men's side, you know, it was a very wacky year. I mean, really, it was kind of the year of the small school, year of the, you know, the not-so-established programs, the Final Four being San Diego State, uh, Florida Atlantic, UConn, who's fallen off, but it's low-key one of the most dominant programs in the country with now their fifth national championship since 1999. And then, uh, you know, Miami, first-time Final Four. Uh, you know, it wasn't wasn't most high-profile high tournament, but in the end, I thought it was a good tournament. You know, UConn, they dominated from start to finish. I know everybody likes that Victor Wimanyama guy, but after that, I'd draft Sonogo, number one overall, no doubt. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I thought it was a pretty good tournament. But in terms of the women's, I mean, we basically had the Magic Johnson versus Larry Bird in the National Championship basically in the women's with Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark. I mean... That, I felt, kind of had more jazz, more buzz around than the men's did. I mean, the cheapest ticket for that game was over $100. The cheapest one for the men's was, like, I believe $60. Uh, shout out Creme for telling me that. <laughs> I thought that really put women's college basketball on the map. That was kind of a historic tournament performance, you know, led by Caitlin Clark. Of course, we had a little bit of the controversy afterwards with Angel Reese, you know, kind of taunting. Caitlin Clark doing some of the similar things that Clark did to, you know, in, earlier in the tournament. But I thought it was a great game. Great, obviously, tournament performance. The Clinton Clark, Clinton Clark scored more points in the NCAA tournament than Iowa's football team did the entire season on offense. So I thought it was great. I had no issues with the men's. You know, I was glad that San Diego State was able to make a deep run as, you know, during the COVID, the year where COVID shut the tournament down. They were 30-2, and two, so I was glad they got to get some of that taste. But March Madness is great, and it was another great year. On the women's side of things, uh, another controversy happened that wasn't, you know, in the taunting world, but it was that uh, Angel Reese got the tournament's most outstanding player over Caitlin Clark. How do you feel about that? It should go to Clark, but it always it's going to go to the player on the winning team. I mean, Angel Reese... It's kind of underrated in this because she has averaged 23-15 and 15 this year. I mean, she's basically like the Shaquille O'Neal of women's basketball because, you know, Shaq also went to LSU, so that helps as well. But I have no issue with her going to Angel Reese. She's been just as dominant as Caitlin Clark all year. She had a wonderful tournament as well. But if it's just pure dominance, it's Caitlin Clark. So there's no one else in that team that's worth anything, really. They have the one center that's kind of, you know, she looks like offensive tackle. She's pretty good. Names like Singano, she's an Italian last name, blonde. She's pretty good. She was, a, I believe, an all-conference player. But other than that, there was no one of note really on that team that did anything. Like, watching those games, I didn't see anyone else that could consistently even, like, score a basket, really. Um, sticking with Kaitlyn Clark here, do you think we are seeing what could be the greatest women's basketball player of all time already in one year of this tournament? I can see. I mean, she shoots like 
nothing I've ever seen before. Like when she like pulls up, it's not like you know she kind of stops and shoots like when she does it it's almost like it's a jump shot but like she doesn't ever stop moving forward it's almost like a runner from like 40 feet like it's it's insane like i could see it she still has another two years eligibility so she's gonna get in the WNBA. she's gonna be even better i mean i think this is by far the easiest because the last big star we had in college best was sabrina ionski which it kind of hurt cause she was at oregon you know late games every all our games are at like 9 p.m for the rest of the country she's in the middle of the country she had 40,000 people come to her games in University of Iowa. I think, you know, it helps that her games are on normal times. She has a name that's easier to pronounce. She shoots threes, which everyone likes. I think this could be the first, like, big mainstream star in women's basketball. And then do you see, kind of with her becoming the first mainstream star in women's basketball, do you see an upturn in the way people view women's basketball? with starting with this tournament and Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese and the way this tournament went down. And it honestly, this year, it ended up being more popular than the men's tournament at yeah. the end. Like, I can do you say see- just because Angel Reese is that good as well. I mean, she's averaged 23 and 15 the entire year. Like, she was at Maryland last year kind of struggling. She got to LSU with a coaching star in Kim Mulkey <laughs> with her wonderful attire and hair and everything. Yeah, I mean, I think if those two get into the – you know, when they get in the WMA, that'll literally be like the WMA's version of Magic Bird. So when those two first got in, into the NBA, the NBA was failing. They, their finals were on tape delay. They put those two. If they t- do what the NBA did, they have all your televised game be either one of those two. And if they get into like a bigger market as well, that I feel could be their first like star duo. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to talk. You know, going back to the men's tournament, a little bit about UConn now, uh, the now national champions. Do you put them in the same caliber? I know people have kind of had them as quasi-blue bloods for a while. Do you consider them full blue bloods now, and do you think they are a top three basketball school all time now? I mean, you have to. I mean, they have five rings since 1999. I mean, they've done it over a period of time. They won two in three years with the Kemba and the Shabazz Napier teams. And, I mean, this year they dominated every game they played. Like, they really weren't that much of a high-profile team going in the tournament. They really struggled in the middle of the year, but they looked unstoppable. And I think they're going to continue their success because all these guys, none of them are, like, top ten draft picks. They're not going to go to the draft. They're not, not going to transfer. Uh, yeah, I did say they're a blue blood. I mean, they have the perfect ingredients to have, like, a honestly go back-to-back because – None of these guys are going to leave. And then that Klingon guy, I mean, I remember hearing him from back when he was in high school in Bristol, Connecticut. He's going to be a player in a year or two. He's going to be really good. I, I think they have the, the coach, who's he's good personality as well. That always helps. I think they have the, all the ingredients to really become, like, the next blue blood. Josh, kind of moving away from UConn, uh, Miami, both their teams making the final four in each respective tournament. Is Miami a basketball school now? I think they can be. I mean, they showed a lot of potential, <clears throat> especially with, like, games like Houston and Texas and Xavier, too. Like, they were all high seeds in this tournament, and they really showed that they can play basketball and they can keep up with anyone. I just think uh, UConn was just the better team. Um, that team was really good. It was very hard to beat, and it showed. And, and like, 
not to knock Miami, but Miami's always been known for like football and everything. But I definitely think that after this tournament, they have like the potential to become a really good basketball program because then stuff like this attracts a lot of recruits, you know, and brings in a bigger fan base for them now on both sides of the sports. But um, yeah, they they have they definitely have the potential to become a really good basketball school and compete every year. Do you think that they are the best team in the ACC now as well? Exactly. Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, John Shire's first year at Duke <coughs> was not very impressive despite multiple top ten recruits. Uh, you look in North Carolina, they got a lot of drama going on. Their best player just transferred. You know, Hubert Davis, yeah, he had great success in year one by taking to the national championship, but this year was a disaster. The first number one team to start the country to never make the tournament. Those two, those are the two absolute blue blood kings of this conference. If they're in, you know, we don't really know what we're going to get out of them. Then, other than that, I don't, I don't see why not. Mm-hmm. Florida State's still rebuilding. North Carolina State just can't seem to get it right. They make it every year, but you know, most they'll get is around a sixty-four, around a thirty-two. Um, Virginia. Virginia, they're slowly going to fade. Their style of basketball, just, it, it's just not going to compete in, in today's game. I mean, they did win it a couple few years ago, but that's because they had three legitimate NBA players on their team. That was just because of talent. Their system, you know, they, they have a hard time creating good shots. They take a lot of tough shots. They have a very old-school type offense. They're always going to have a harder because it's a hard school to get in academically. I don't, I don't see them really, barring a great recruiting class, making another run like that again. I think Miami does have a legitimate shot to become like a top three team perennially in this conference just as long as Jim Laranaga is there. Yeah, I mean, I mean people just underestimate his influence on this program. He's a great you coach. Know. He led he re- George Mason to a Final Four. Mm-hmm. The entire team, the entire school, the entire fan base loves him. Yeah. It's it's awesome to see, you know, it's – I think Miami, Josh was saying they have the potential to be a basketball school. I think they are a basketball school now. I think point we, where their football team's playing. And the, both teams making the Final Four. Yeah. They I mean – the Kavinder twins on the women's team who are TikTok stars. That doesn't hurt. <laughs> I mean, I think this is going to perennially be a basketball school now. I mean, football is still always going to be competitive for them. They're always going to be in that top 50 range. They'll have a season here and there where they just out-recruit everybody mm-hmm. and they got more talent than everyone else. But other than that, I mean, you know, if they do become good, there's going to be a scandal that follows <laughs> at this point. That's just how it works in Miami. <laughs> they did in the 80s. They had a scandal. 90s had a scandal. 2000s had a scandal. Even that one couple good years with, like, Mark Richt and Al Golden, there was a scandal that followed. <laughs> so it's just going to happen. Yeah. Um, kind of sticking with Miami, and you saw, you know, Jordan Miller and Isaiah Wong play their hearts out in this tournament. And Are there any, Yeah. Great name. <laughs> if Did you see any other players that like those guys that have the possibility of boosting their names in the NBA draft and the NBA offseason here now that – they played so well in the tournament. What were some of your favorite players from the tournament that did that? Just from the tournament yeah, in general? In general, yeah. Uh, I'd have to go with um, first Sonogo. I know he's kind of, you know, he's a little small for a center, but, like, he just, he did everything. 
They got him the ball in the post. He couldn't be stopped. He couldn't be stopped on the offensive boards. Every time he attempted a three, he made it. He was two for two in the national championship game to start the game. I just, oh no, sorry, in the final four game. I'd say I have to be Sonogu. I mean, he wasn't very heralded of Kermit into this, and he just dominated from the game one to the national championship. I'd say, I, know, I just feel like that Mensa guy on, on San Diego State, I just feel like he's going to be like the Warriors' next starting center. <laughs> he just has that defense rebounding, doesn't really care about scoring much, can occasionally hit like a hook shot and like a putback and a mid-range jumper. He just screams Warriors center to me. I don't know why. He really wasn't even that good in the tournament, but he just screams it to me. Uh, I mean, Nigel Pack mm-hmm. on Miami, he played very well. That the shooter on UConn, was his name, Matthews? The guy that lost his shoe? Yeah, he, the one that kind of looks like a WNBA player. <laughs> He's he's an odd-looking bird. But he played tremendous. I can't find him. Yeah, but, but <laughs> he played very well. Uh, I mean, that's it. I mean, this, this year is an all-time low year for college basketball players. No one, none of these guys. We thought Brandon Miller was going to be the number one pick, and now he – or number two pick, sorry. And he shot 19% in three tournament games. There. Then that was our best player in the country. Keontae George didn't really do anything for Baylor. Zach Eady was out of the tournament before he could even touch the basketball, basically. Yeah, and he's Snapchatting 16-year-olds. Bad month for Zach Eady. <laughs> he did win the Wooden Award today, though, so I guess. Yeah, he he has no place in the NBA. I'm sorry. I mean, if he could like hit like a mid-range jump shot, that'd be nice, but he has the skill set of a fourth grader. Um, I mean, when I was looking at, like, the entirety of the UConn roster, it's just, like, I don't know boosted. any of these guys, but they're just, like, good. They all, like, got boosted up in my eyes. And when yeah. you, like, look at them, you were talking Calcaterra? about... Calcaterra? Uh-huh. <laughs> you were, like, talking about how, like, the one guy looked good for the Warriors, the guy in San Diego State. I think, like, this entire team, the Raptors would draft all of them. Like, when yes. I was watching them yes. play Miami, they just looked so much longer and yes. taller and lankier than everybody 100%. on Miami. And it was just, like, these are, like... The guys that yes. every NBA team dreams of molding. They're like, you have that build. Like, they're like, we can do anything with you. Like, and that's like what the Raptors Everyone on do. San Diego State, like, they hit the weight. <laughs> like, I was like, these guys all look like, they're all like 6'7", long arms, biceps. I was like, these guys look like DNs. Uh-huh. Like, they play like a, you ever seen like a good, like, high school basketball movie from like 2000, early 2000s, late 90s? That's how they all play. I've never seen so many jab steps in my life. Jab step mid range jumper. I was like, this this is an experience. Like, <laughs> that was a funny team. Like, can we all agree that was a funny team? Yeah. yeah. Like, not one of them could hit a free throw. They just played literally 90s basketball. Like, their center's name was like Nathan. Like, it was just it was just great. They had that Ladie guy who like could probably bench like 400 pounds. Their best players are transfer. He's left handed and like. I still don't know what he's good at, but I get Matt Bradley. <laughs> he's good. <laughs> he's good, but I don't know what he's good at. Like, I, like he can't really shoot. He's kind of, like, stocky. He kind of drive. He's left-handed, but, like, he's good. It's just – and they had the little – that little point guard. I can't – I don't even know his name. Like, I love that this tournament. It's like I can't name, like, a single player on the court other than Sonogo. 
but they're all good. Mark, I want to shout out Marcus Noel. That dude is a bucket, yeah. and he's a magician with passes, dude. Yeah. I think that's if I want to talk about somebody who's going to get boosted in the draft this year. The only thing that hurts him is that he's like four feet tall. Yeah, is but, that the guy in San Diego State? Uh, no, Kansas State. Oh, oh yeah, Marcus yeah, Noel. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's a dog. Oh, he is so he's good. good. I would, he is worth a second round pick. I'm picking him if I have a second round pick. He's worth it. If he's I, a ball player, I think he could have like. Maybe not Steph Curry type jump in the draft like Steph Curry had after that tournament. It's just with he's twenty two. That hurts. Yeah. If he it was does. like a freshman, oh yeah. I think he's gonna be really. really I'm ta- good. if I have a second round pick, I'm taking him. Yeah. He's worth it. He's worth it, no doubt. Helps that he can he can hold his own defensively. He's from Harlem. He's tough. He's not gonna get. He's not gonna be a pushover. He's gonna terrorize that ball handler. I don't I don't know why, but like I just see him in Minnesota. That's <laughs> like the team I can picture. Dad or like I swear he'd be a dog for the jazz. Yeah. <laughs> he would fit right in on the jazz. He would. Complete um, culture shock there, but he would just fit in with that team. Just throwing lobs to like Markinen. And it's just like Markinen and Noel, just a great duo. And it's just like Walker just for Kessler them, in the middle, just, yeah, just for them everybody. to go like 59-23, be the one seed and lose in the, the <laughs> semifinals every year. I could see it for the next five years. Let's make it happen. Yes. Danny <laughs> Ainge, draft Marquise Noel right now. <laughs> you heard it in your life, folks. Danny Ainge, if you're listening, do it. That will go on Sackman Sports as well. Okay. I'm making a PSA later tonight. <laughs> um. You know, now that we're talking about the Jazz and the NBA draft, let's move on over to the NBA. We're getting closer to the end of the season here. The Chicago Bulls have somehow found their way into the play-in, right? And they're playing tonight a very important game against the Trey Young-less Atlanta Hawks. Josh, what do the Bulls need to do to ensure that they're on a good path going into the playoffs here and make sure that they actually compete in the playoffs? Well, honestly, I think it all starts with this win. You know, um, getting this win would be really huge for us because, um, you know, we talked about it before. Uh, Sackley said we'd have to lose all four. The Magic would have to win all four as well. Um, and that's the only way we get kicked out. But, you know, we're not that far off from getting into um, eight or seven even, you know, um, hoping that Miami loses a ton of games. But it all starts with this game tonight. Uh, without Trey Young, we shouldn't be down right now, in my opinion. I think we're taking, like, really bad shots. Like, we're not setting up correctly. Um, so it just goes back to that, you know, just setting up correctly, taking the good shots, maybe even getting a lot of paints in the – a lot of points in the paint because I think that's where we can really uh, kill them and draw a lot of fouls and get their guys thrown out, uh, fouled out of the game. But, um, yeah, like, we can't take threes that – I don't care if they're, like, wide open. Like, Vooch can't be taking those threes unless it's, like, really lucky. But, um, yeah, I think it's um, – I think it just starts with, you know, just staying calm and really just, like, focusing on what the game plan is because sometimes they freak out and they just, like, start just playing street basketball. And then we'll go off here and there towards that, the end of the game. But it's, like, we need games like how the Grizzlies games went. We can't be down 21, obviously, but we have to win by 25. I feel like right now with all of these games that we have left, we have to win by, like, plus 10 at least. Because then it 
gives us confidence going into the playoffs, but it also can be like a kind of like a threatening thing for some of these teams that we might play in the plane, you know? It's like, man, last time they were plus 10. Like, do we have to worry about that? Like, because then, like, especially with, like, the play-in tournament, that's going to make a lot of teams nervous. Knowing that, oh, four games ago, I just got plus 25. What are we going to do next time we play them? You know, you can't just be like, play better defense. Like, you have to have a, a plan of attack. And I think right now... The Bulls' plan of attack needs to be, you know, more points in the paint, but also winning by 10-plus. And, yeah, it's asking a lot and not really, like, reasonable to ask, you know. But it should be because we know how good we can be. It's just how we've talked about it before. Billy plays to the other teams. They don't. He doesn't play to, like, win. He just plays to be able to hold the other team at such, you know, set amount of points. And for us to actually get, you know, set amount of points. I feel like that's how he plays. And it's just not helping us. Yeah. I mean, you when you were talking before, you were talking about how they just kind of slip into that street ball, street ball like mentality when they're playing where it's just kind of one guy has to take over. Very ISO heavy. Over. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I remember one of our past shows, I think it was either leading up to All-Star break or right after the All-Star break, and they had gone on a little win streak, and it was because – Billy Donovan, like you were saying, had just tightened down and said, we are doing this type of basketball, and you guys need to play the way that we like that we are designing for you to play. And you saw where it was like Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan just playing well they, offensively. They were making their shots. They were getting their touches, and they were doing these, you know, a lot of screens, get these guys open on that way versus just iso-balling on. And when they were doing that, Zach Levine was putting up like 25 every game at least, sometimes 30. DeMar was getting close to 40, stuff like that. And then there's those games where they just go back to where it's Zach Levine gets the ball and just stands up top and dribbles for a bunch of time until yeah. he shoots. Or DeMar DeRozan does that. And then Vucevic gets an offensive rebound and then misses two layups and then gets a fourth offensive rebound and makes that. And that's how they score. And they wasted two minutes on a possession to get two points. Yeah. While the other team runs down and pulls a three on them because they can't play defense on the perimeter uh, unless Caruso or Patrick Beverly is out there. And even they aren't even you know playing their best defense yeah. at the time. And then Patrick Williams is in the paint, and Nikola Vucevic is in the paint. Patrick Williams is getting babied in the paint because he's skinny, and Nikola Vucevic is getting babied in the paint because he's a baby. And he's old. <laughs> he's just awful in the paint. I think, like, they just need to tighten down again. And these last few games of the season is huge for them to start tightening down now versus tightening down in that first play-in game. Yeah. Because hopefully they get a high enough play-in seed to where if they lose that first game, they get at least a second shot at that second game. We don't want to be your nine, or uh, yeah, the nine or, or the eleven or twelve, or no, nine or ten, nine, nine or ten, ten, nine or ten. I don't know why. I was. <laughs> you don't want to be the nine or ten because if you lose that first game, then you're out of there, and if you're not tightened down by then, you're screwed. So, ideally, you win enough games down, you tighten it down now, and figure out your game plan now, yeah, and then go into that first game and just get it over with. Definitely, yeah. So, we'll see how it goes. Exactly, with. The team kind of in this limbo period here. Where do you want them to go next season, depending on how this season ends up? I think we got to blow it up. I mean, the, the, it's not going to get any better. I mean, DeMar is going to be 34 by the time next season starts. Luzovic is a free agent. He's going to be 32 by the time that season starts. 
So you got two of your best players are older, declining, and they're expensive. Levine doesn't really want to be here anymore. We almost traded him at the trade deadline. I mean, even if we did return all three, it's just we're, we're, we're not good. I mean, that little our little renaissance we had last year up until Lonzo got hurt, it's over. Lonzo's going to – it's already confirmed to miss the entire next season. So by the time he comes back, it'll be 2024. I mean, tomorrow will be 35. And, not, and Lonzo's not worth waiting a whole entire year to keep this team together. I think we just got to completely rebuild it. I would let Vooch walk. I would trade Levine, Mar. I feel like I don't mean to cut you off. I feel like Vooch walks either way. He's yeah. a free agent. I don't. This, I don't so. think we. I don't think we're bringing him back. Yeah. I think we need to trade both those two. At least we have. You know, we have Io. We do have Pat Will. So at least we have two. You know, solid young guys. Not going to say stars. Not going to even say start but at least like they're players worth having around we still don't own our pick because it's going to the magic this is the boots trade so we just got we got blow it up it's it's just not worth it in my opinion but that's kind of pointless because this that's the reason why we're in this thing we are terrible at developing young players marketing got out of here he recovered for a year in cleveland and now he's an all-star yeah, he just broke a record too for yeah. like a seven foot man to hit two hundred threes and a hundred dunks in a season. I mean, Mother Markinen looks like a top three power forward in the game this year. Other than Giannis and Randall, he's been the best power forward in the league. He like it's not like his it's not like it's like a boofoo one time also like what he's doing is sustainable. Like he looks good. He's not it's not just him shooting threes. He's dribbling. He's dunking on people. Everything we've seen him do, but Jim Boylan wouldn't let him. Wendell, 16-10 this year. Looks like a start Al Horford-type player like we all thought he would be. Jim Boylan ruined him. Lee Donovan wasn't able to resuscitate him. Even Chris Dunn is putting up solid stats. He's putting up better this year statistically. Chris Dunn has been better than every single point guard on our roster. He's averaging 11-5-4. Jimmy Bullock took the next step after he left Chicago. He was an all-star turned into an MVP candidate, a perennial MVP candidate. Yeah. Even um, Shaq Harrison's back in the league. Happy to see that. <laughs> I, it's going to be pointless because we can't develop our young guys anyway. We we botched Kobe White. I love Kobe. Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis is legitimately a six-man-of-the-year candidate year in and year out now. All these guys that just... Couldn't figure it out with them. Even Doug McDermott. Yeah, he, he found his role game. in every other organization he was a part of. The Bulls, like, they get guys and they just do not have plans for guys. No, they don't. They're just like, they draft somebody with the idea that this guy could be good and then don't try to develop him in anything. They're just like, okay, go out there and be good. Yeah. Like, how does that make any sense? Doug McDermott is a good player at what he does. He's a D- 3 and D guy who comes off the bench. That's all you need from him. That's all you want him to we do. We want him to be like a point guard when he ends with us. Exactly. We want him to be a slasher. He's 6'4 and Caucasian. He's not going to be consistently dunking on people. <laughs> they literally was like, attack the rim, dog. Attack the rim, dog. <laughs> Did you watch him in college? He played for the Creighton Blue Jays. <laughs> he played in the Missouri Valley Conference at the time. He couldn't dunk on Southern Illinois University. <laughs> And Bradley University. What makes you think he's going to be a point guard in the NBA? Go Gargoyles. We traded two first-round draft picks to get him. 
That is arguably like the worst one. We traded a ton to get him. We two those two picks ended up being Yusuf Nurkic, who's been better than any center we've had since Noah left. And Gary Harris, who's a guy we could use right now. And like, you know, we could obviously could have drafted someone different, but that would have been better than Doug McDermott was for us. But you think about like what Gary Harris does is exactly what exactly Doug McDermott what we need. does. And we could use a Doug McDermott right now, too, because he does really exactly the same Doug thing. Yeah. <laughs> we are the worst three-point shooting team in the league. Which is insane because we have Zach Levine, who everybody's like, oh, it's a good three-point shooter. That's uh, it. Patrick Williams is supposed to be a 3 and D guy. Uh, Vucevic is supposed to be a stretch five. Um, nope. the, nobody on the team. Nobody on this team can shoot. If, we're, if it was like 1994, we'd be pretty good. We'd be like a five seed. But oh, yeah. not, to, not today. I mean, there's no reason why... Lowry and Wendell couldn't have been a great power forward center duo for seven to ten years. There's no reason why. Jim Boylan just should be arrested for war crimes against humanity with what he did to those guys. Not, I never really believed in Chris Dunn. I didn't really like that. I thought it was a kind of a bad trade, but he could have been a serviceable player. Jim Boylan was playing him at small forward. Just because he could play defense. He was like, oh, yeah, Chris Dunn's good at defense. Yeah, let's just throw him out there anywhere, I guess. <laughs> like, Kobe White was supposed to be our point guard of the future. We draft him. His whole rookie season, okay, you're going to be our, our scoring, microwave scored two guard off the bench. Then their next season, okay, Kobe, you have to be our day-in, day-out starting point guard. We want you to facilitate offense going through. Yeah, no wonder he's going to struggle. He was a two guard for a whole rookie year. We didn't start him until his last game at point guard. He had a good game, and then you know COVID happened, so it was shut down. And we won that game against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Imagine if we did that from day one. No, we started Thomas Sadaransky the entire year because he's a under-the-radar player. <laughs> and then, yeah, year two, yeah, he struggles. Okay, let's go get Alonzo and just discard him. And then now he's suddenly finding – now, you know, his ball handling's up to par. His assisting is up to par. But we don't need him anymore because we got – I mean, he's better than the guys we've started at point guard this year. I'm sorry. He's better than Pat Bev. He's better than AO, in my opinion. I like AO, but he's kind of regressed. Mm-hmm. He didn't take that next step that I thought he was. He's still solid to keep around, but he's not, not going to be it. It's just a shame. But I mean, this NBA season is quite the interesting season. I kind of wanted to talk about the Mavericks. Let's talk about them. How they traded their best defender, a couple other picks. They don't own the first round picks. It's going to go to the Knicks because of the Porzinger trade. He's he's pretty good. Tingus Pingus! <laughs> <laughs> but they're now in a position where it might be better for them to miss the playoffs so they're, they're picking them being the top 10 so that they get their pick. I mean, Mavericks, they messed their organization up. Mark, you and I like him, but he's fumbled the bag. They let Jalen Brunson walk. They let Porzingis, Porzingis, they could use a, a rim defender right now. But no. They want they go out and they get Kyrie, who at this point, I don't, Kyrie really isn't even the biggest problem. Because they can't play defense. They have no big man. They have no rim protection. They, they have a bad coach, Jason Kidd. I don't think Jason Kidd's a good coach at all. He was a bad coach in Milwaukee. Yeah, I was going to say, as a Milwaukee Bucks, you know, follower and fan, um, Jason Kidd was one of the worst things that happened to that team. He almost destroyed Giannis's career. Thank God they got rid of him before it was too late. Uh, it was it was bad. So, so now, you, all, all, 
Kyrie's gone. He's not. Why would Kyrie want to come back to this? If I were him, I'm going to wherever. Utah at this point, everybody should go to Utah. Yeah, why not? <laughs> they, this team has no future now. Now they, they literally have no one. They start. Christian Wood was their second best player before the Kyrie trade. He was their 16 and eight starting center. And then for whatever reason, they take him out. They barely play him. They start Dwight Powell, most shot out 32 year old I've ever seen. <laughs> He was last time. Last time he was at Dwight Powell was a solid player. It was twenty seventeen, when Dennis Smith was like throwing him like alley oops. What is he going to do now in twenty twenty three? That team, I felt, because we talked about them the most, other than the Suns of the trade, like gang Kyrie. Oh, it's a great duo. They're going to be dangerous. Look at what he did with Jalen Brunson. Now he has Kyrie. They're not even going to make the playoff. The plan. They messed up. Uh. Yeah, I mean, with with the Dallas Mavericks, and I was saying this, and we talked about this a little bit when the trade actually happened, when Kyrie got traded there. Um, it it obviously wasn't gonna work because Kyrie and Luca are just like, in terms of basketball, just two similar players. They're too ball dominant. They both want to be able to dribble. They're they're both very good ISO players yeah. and make their moves through ISO, make their passes through ISO isolations. Like, everything that their game is is isolations, and then neither one of them can play defense. I Honestly, I think Luka got worse at defense this year. He did. It, it's kind of bad now. And everybody was saying Luka's going to be the MVP this year, and then Luka just, like, he's good, but he has not taken a step forward as a leader and as a defensive player on this team. And I don't think that's a very good sign for this organization because I think that reflects more on the way the organization has dealt with him and dealt with the way this team is built. And I think Luca, although signing the giant extension, probably isn't going to sign another contract after this one. No, and it's going to be very hard to convince him to, even if you guys somehow go on He's and win a championship. Go play with Jokic. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. Those two, they love each other. They went to Jokic, not Jokic. Doncic went to Jokic's birthday party that was in like a back of like a Eastern Slav restaurant where they they all they had was like one like. Banner that said "Happy Birthday." I kind of, I kind of appreciate like the money management skills by Jokic because it was like, you know, usually they go to like NBA players go to the club, you know, I kind of liked it. It was just like that, and like here's some like Pizza Hut and like some you know, Kadoshi cookies from like Serbia or something. But yeah, those two even in the bubble they get like dinner tonight every day together. So that's gonna happen. I mean, first of all, that would be. That'd be a fun team to watch. Um, you know, they just play the game the right way. Those <laughs> people would just cool. watch the, every single night. <laughs> the Nuggets like would the way have... they play. None of that juking and jabbing. Oh my God. The Nuggets would have the worst fan demographics <laughs> yes. on earth. Um, Those games would be like a Trump rally. <laughs> uh, Josh, I wanted to ask. <laughs> Josh, I want to ask you. If the Mavs were somehow able to keep Kyrie Irving this offseason, what could the Mavs do in your eyes to somehow make this team competitive? Well, obviously, like Sackley said, I think they need a rim protector. I think when Porzingis left, he thrived with the Wizards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like right now, like he's thriving over there. Um, And he was a big reason why if Luka missed, he was like, you know, going right following the shot. So I think they need a, a rim defender. 
and someone big enough to follow the shots that Luca and or Kyrie miss. Um, letting go of Jalen Brunson was kind of an L for them as well. Obviously, they can't bring him back, but um, I feel like I feel like right now the Mavs are kind of like, all right, we need you both to like step up, but I think they need to like lean on Luca a little bit more because I feel like there was a point in time, correct me if I'm wrong, that Luca was out for a little while with injury, correct? Mm-hmm. So at that time, I feel like they were still leaning on Luca when he was out and not leaning enough on Kyrie. Although Kyrie was dropping some numbers, I'm not going to deny that, it wasn't enough. You know, even with Kyrie and Christian Wood on the court, there wasn't any, like, type of, like, winning or production that was happening, right? And then you get Luca coming back from injury, and it's still the same thing. There's no production. I feel like they really need to tell Luca to, like, really push the team instead of them having to say something about it, you know? And I feel like if they lose, I feel like they're going to not be able to make the plan. I feel like it needs to be, like, their mission to kind of, like, not – not what do you call it, um, not separate, like, authority of whose team it is, more or less just, like, light a fire under the under them, you know? Because I feel like that's the only way you're going to get things to, like, really move. And it's just not going to work with, you know, them being, like, whose team, whose team is this? Like, I, I, just, I think right now that's where they're at, and that's why they, they look so, like, starstruck all the time when they lose. I think oh. – a lot of that has to do with just, like, who Kyrie Irving is, is that the Mavericks and Jason Kidd, and I think a lot of this is Jason Kidd's fault, too. I think Jason Kidd is, again, one of the worst coaches in the NBA. He was awful with the Bucks. He didn't help anything in New York with the Nets when he was helping, when he was an assistant there. He wasn't helping any teams that he was a part of. And then the Mavs just signed him randomly because he's a name. And they think that was going to fix it, but Jason Kidd doesn't know what he's doing. He was just telling them to go out there and play basketball. He's like, Kyrie Irving, that's fun to have. You know, Mark, go trade for him. Go bring him in. And then throw him out on the court, and we'll see what happens. I think that's the same thing with, like, Stephen Ash. Yes. Like, that's exactly uh, – now and that you're saying Chauncey that – Chauncey Billups, too. Yeah, I don't think Chauncey ex- Billups is a good coach That's why either. the Nets players wanted Stephen Ash. They didn't want – they Kenny X, they didn't want a coach. They just wanted a guy that would say, okay, go out there and play. And yeah. then Kevin Durant realized, oh, maybe that was a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> so. After he brings in Harden and Kyrie – like then he realizes like, hey sons, how you doing? Under the table, like everything was under the table. So I, hate I mean, that Nets team. I'm glad they didn't win anything. Yeah, I mean, I just think it. Like you were saying, is that they didn't like Luca just needed to be like, this is my team, and I think Jason Kidd needed to back him up on that. And I don't think either one of them were saying that this was Luca's team. Both of them were just like. Hey, Kyrie, welcome. And Kyrie, being Kyrie, just comes in and goes, yeah, I'm the big name here. I'm going to take over. And you know Kyrie's going to do that. You can't blame him for doing that because he's a very good NBA player. As an organization, I would not hire Jason Kidd to be my head coach just based off the fact of what he's done off the court. Mm-hmm. That I'm, I will not, he's not a good person. say on air because it's very graphic, bad stuff. I would not want him working for my organization. I don't care that he was a great Hall of Fame point guard. I don't want him. What he did to Brooklyn was bad. Where he just strong-armed his way out of there after he knew the team was going to go down because they had the terrible big three of the geriatrics. <laughs> that alone 
is the disqualification in my book. But then you add the stuff that he's done off the court. I don't know why teams want him. I really don't. Like I, I okay, maybe he's an assistant, but what what is he? That you can definitely clarify what has he done as an assistant that was so great. Nothing. Nothing. I don't. I don't know why teams still are considering hiring him. He's, mm-hmm. he's didn't. He didn't have any success in Milwaukee. He was there. Four years, they were seventh seed, eighth seed every year. Again, like I said, the with the only- same guys. The next year, with Boonholzer took over, they first seed, and they've been the dominant team ever since. He was running Giannis at point guard for the like the first three years of his career for no reason. What are you doing? You're an idiot. He was starting like Greg Monroe for like five years, and like John Henson, both who are like dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. How they play? Yeah, it was just. It's awful. I think getting rid of Jason Kidd is the biggest thing you got to do this offseason as the Mavericks. You got to say goodbye to him. Hope he never gets the job anywhere else so he can never take down another organization like this again. And then the other thing is I think Christian Wood is the most, like, zero plus minus player in the league. He adds almost no value to your team when he is on your team. He is a good enough player to get minutes to be, like, a starting caliber center in the league. But, like, when he is out there, it is almost like he's not out there. It's it's annoying. Sometimes, yeah, there'll, it, be, there'll be one game where he gets like thirty and fifteen, but then he's just kind of like, oh, 16, 7, It's fun running around. Uh huh. It's literally yeah. like, he's just running around, and like, I would rather he just have negative value at that point because all he's doing is eating up like twenty million dollars to be a mid player. Yeah. I think you have to go out and like be like really look at this team and see what like watch watch games. See how Luka Doncic plays and build a team around Luka Doncic. Don't build a team just because you see guys who are good players. You can't do that. Basically what they've done. Yeah. You can't do that. That's what like they do. That's what like the Wizards have done. That's what the Nets did. They were just like, yeah. Wizards, we- they've been in the same place since 2017. They just refuse to like, like – do they enjoy being the 11th seed every year? I, I think so. I think they're always like they, – they think it's good to be like, we're almost competitive – but, you know, we're still rebuilding. They just get to keep saying Every we're still rebuilding. Like Bradley Beal's wasting his time. He's like, yeah, I don't care about the money. Yeah, you do. He's just getting paid. That's the only reason he's The only thing there. that we can all agree on that we love to see is light the beam, ladies and gentlemen. Sacramento Kings clinched their first playoff spot since 2005. That all brings a smile to our faces. Bless the Kings. They deserve <laughs> Those fans deserve it. They're the best fans in the NBA by far. In their arena, when they hit a game-winning shot, that is the loudest thing you will ever hear. I am excited that they will get a playoff series. Mm-hmm. What do you think the ceiling of this Kings team is in the playoffs here? Second round exit, their defense is terrible. But their <laughs> offense is the best <laughs> in the league. They cannot play any defense, but their offense can get you there. Second round exit. That's, <laughs> if, they, if they make it to the second round, that's their Super Bowl. It's, their defense is like... Keegan Murray and just nobody yes, else. Yes, it's, it's like Keegan Murray fighting it, for his life. It's out like there. yes, he is fighting, fighting with everything in his soul and <laughs> his very being. They got you know Doma, Domas, 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 That's what they call him for short. I did not try to swear. That's what they call him for short. Domas, Domas, Sabonis. It's him. You know, Cook. I mean, not Cook. Fox, he tries to, like, you know, pressure the ball handler. But then he just lets everybody walk by him. He, like, pressures one side. Dang it. 
Oh, shucks. And then it's just Keegan Murray fighting for his life. Which he did set the rookie record for most threes made. So I think that was by far the Very best pick on. they could have made. Yeah. I think Jaden Ivey would have they would have just continued their ten year reign of drafting multiple point guards and multiple shooting guards. And then just get a grade of them because yeah, <laughs> they're pointless. Appreciate I mean, uh, they were terrible at dribble. At least they got that one right. They were they were like 0 for fifteen before that. Because like think about it. You're in your out, they'd be bad. And they're like, you know what, let's draft fifth overall pick. Thomas Robinson. <laughs> oh, yes. We got a dominant beast center that's very underappreciated to Mark's cousins. Willie Cauley-Stein. <laughs> we just drafted Ben Malcolmore, who's one of the biggest busts ever. Let's draft Nick Stauskas to back him up. Who's <laughs> even worse. Like, we have a, a great point guard, Darren Fox. Let's draft Halliburton. Who's very good, but why would you draft another point guard when you already have it all? Uh, no. But wait, why have two point guards when you could draft Davion Mitchell? Who <laughs> yeah, next year and have three point have guards. Three point guards. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know who their GM is anymore because they were so. It was. It was Vladi, but Vladi was like drafting three point guards. <laughs> and, yeah. Yes. And I don't know. Maybe he thought he was back in the Soviet Union. <laughs> Yugoslavia, I watched a whole documentary on that when COVID first happened. Very good 30 for 30. It was very good. It's a shame that Drazen Petkovic got mad at him for holding a Serbian flag or whatever that was supposed to be about. Died mad at him, yeah. Yeah, and then he, someone picked him up from the airport and they didn't know how to drive. Tragedy. But, yeah, the, what they were doing, it was like, wow. But you, you look at the Kings, and this is something that, like, I want to compare them to the Mavericks. They're still weirdly built. They are weirdly built, but, <laughs> but it's also built with a plan. Yeah. That team, it is a very strange team, but it yeah. all fits together so beautifully. Like, if they just had, like, one more good defensive, like, shooting guard, yes, it's it's over. That's a championship like, team. That's such an oddly – yeah, Fox and you got Sabonis. Okay, so you got a point guard big man duo, okay. Then you just have, like, Kevin Herter. He was, like, really good. He beats you, like, a ginger. Well, what's funny about – those two too with so <laughs> but he's really good but he's like a like a three and not so much d like two guard three guard yeah small forward but then sabonis and fox is sabonis plays like the point guard role yeah. and then fox plays like the but, power forward yeah role. he's like just getting like points in the paint and sabonis is at like the top of the key like Doing fancy passing passes, yeah. like behind the backs but he's like leading league in rebounds <laughs> Uh, then you got Keegan Murray, who's basically the same thing <laughs> as Herter, but can play defense. Then you have, like, kind of, like, misfits, like, you know, who, like, didn't work out his first-round picks, like Malik Monk, who <sighs> will randomly go off for 30 and, like, a highlight dunk. Uh-huh. Like, Trey Lyles is, like, somehow still in the NBA and, like, and having a good year. <laughs> just random games where he puts up, like, 20 and 10 near, like, Trey Like, Rashawn Holmes is, like, on the bench missing days when he used to be their starting center. <laughs> uh it's an odd team. Davion Mitchell is like, well, why'd they draft me if they had these guys? <laughs> he's just out there playing basketball. But he's just like out there. He's like, oh, I get to hoop today. <laughs> and like does something nice. That's an odd team, but I'm glad they're doing well. Yeah, it, it's fun to watch them. Um, I want to talk about what a lot of people were probably going to say at the beginning of the season would be like their East counterparts in the Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> what yeah. is wrong with the Charlotte Hornets and what – what needs to change with this organization? Well, first off, 
like half their players thought they were like rappers slash <laughs> gang members. I mean, I've never seen someone literally try to get out of the NBA like Miles Bridges did. And he like he did everything he needed to do on the court. Became like an all star level player, mm-hmm. and then just said, "I'm gonna make it out of the NBA." <laughs> so I mean, that was their second best player, and they lost him. So that obviously hurt them this season. I mean, they finally did draft a center, Mark Williams, who's pretty good. LaMelo can't stay healthy. I don't know what it is with the ball brothers, but I don't know. Maybe LeVar did all that chirping. Uh, he didn't give them milk when they were children. <laughs> so yeah, LaMelo has been healthy. They still believe that Terry Rozier can be like an all-star. Trade him and just put in that James Polk night. But he's a, like, thinks he's a gang member, too, because yeah. he's flashing guns all over Instagram and hitting that. people. And then it's like let's let's they have like four centers on a roster with like Nick Richards, Brandon Carey Jr. used to he was on them, Zeller they just traded then they just trade him, yeah. They still have Gordon Hayward, who's which, hoops sometimes. Who, who sometimes hoops <laughs> sometimes. I love Gordon Hayward. Like, I don't, I it's just like that. why is he still on the team for this bad? Why are we paying him this much money to be okay? When literally. It's crazy because, like, any team would take him, too. They're, they're just terrible at developing their young players because they don't play them until year three. Mm-hmm. Like that Kai Jones, that, like, absolute specimen of a player from Texas, he's just now getting playing time. It's his second year. He, they could use him. Well, it's either they don't they don't play him for three years or they throw him straight into the fire when they need, like, three years. Like, P.J. Yeah. Washington needed two years on the bench yes. to, before he was – because he's a very good player, I think. Yes. But they threw him straight into the fire right away. Or like Michael Kidd Grosjean when he was yes. shooting like, <laughs> like this. And they're like, it's okay. Just, just keep doing yeah, it. Just, just take two threes a game and, yeah, shoot so weirdly that until you have shoulder problems. <laughs> that was interesting. Let's pick you over Bradley Beal and Damian Lillard just so you can shoot with like a 90-degree angle in your <laughs> elbow until it like falls off your body and then you just like have to only play defense the rest of your career. <laughs> Let's do that. Good idea. Cody Zeller, yeah, we're going to pick you number four overall, even though, like, you literally have, like, the skills of a tree. He's, he's <laughs> like, basically the Hornets' best player of all time. That's the sad part, That's really. crazy, isn't it? Like, it was amazing how long he stayed, but then, like, they would, like, wildly overpay him. Like, yeah, he's going to have a breakout year this year. This is a steal. And they, I remember one time they gave, like, a max offer sheet to Lance Stevenson, and then he averaged, like, nine points a game they traded him. <laughs> they, they just, they're just not good at basketball. They draft wrong, they sign wrong, they pay wrong. Michael Jordan, I'm glad he's selling the team now because, mm-hmm. like, it's just tarnishing his legacy. Because <laughs> this team has, like, consistently been terrible for 10 years now. They went 7 and, like, 56 that one year. We, I remember the, the Bulls played them back when they were the, the Thibodeau-led Bulls, and, like, all you heard the whole game was just Thibodeau's voice because there was no fans <laughs> in the stadium. Like, they gave Nick Batum $150 million. How do you give Nick Batum 150 million? And it's hilarious because these guys like Nick Batum and Terry Rozier and Gordon Hayward—they're not like bad players. But like, but like, why are you giving? They gave Bismack Biombo a giant contract too. They were, like, why are you doing that? To they yourself? give like the, the, a guy who'd be like a, a sixth or like an eighth player on the team, like a like he's gonna be our star. <laughs> like, <laughs> at this point, if I'm running the Hornets, okay, we have Lamelo when he's healthy. The Bulls just clinched a play on spot because the Magic lost. So, yay. 
This mediocreness will continue for at least one more game so after, after this After season. they lose this game against after the After they lose <laughs> their next three games, they finish 39-43 and be the 10th seed. We get to see one more game. <laughs> yeah. Travesty. So I'd have we have LaMelo Ball. We have Mark Williams. That's the only two players I at least feel good about. You wouldn't think about keeping, like, P.J. Washington? P.J. Washington, maybe, just as long as he stays away from Brittany Renner. <laughs> she played him. It was terrible, but she played him. <laughs> you, you, that's like that's like minus two points per game with what he did with her. Oh my god. You, okay, you have PJ Washington as you, maybe your four. Bring him off the bench. Solid Maybe you get Miles Bridges back. I think this is the year he was like, you, you're out. Goodbye. Pay for your sins. If you get him back, that's an all-star level type player. So. I, you have Lamelo, you have Williams, and you have Bridges. The rest you need to completely just overhaul. They have that, that rookie Bryce McGowan's who's okay. Who's Steve Clifford, who's like on his fourth tenure with the Hornets. Even though he's bad everywhere he goes, <laughs> he just gets like young teams. He's like their sacrificial lamb. I don't, I don't know what the Hornets. I I really don't know. Yeah. I'd trade Hayward. I would. Trade Rogier. I thought you should trade Rogier two years ago, but whatever. I don't do it with them. They're bad. We know that. But that's just a lost cause. Do you think that if they even like start a rebuild and with Lamel Ball coming up close on a contract extension, do you think there's any shot he is not a part of their future plans and they try to just really, really blow it up? I wouldn't blame them because it's you. you you stink with him. He just broke his ankle. So that doesn't help. He's going to want top dollar. Knowing him. I don't even know what you do. At this point, I think you just like, just, just cease to exist. <laughs> just say just, we're calling it. Just we're gonna, we're gonna sell jo- it, rename it. We're going to join the ABA team and be a minor league basketball team that like doesn't have a website. We're just going to do that from now on. <laughs> Join the American Basketball, it's still around, the American Basketball Association, or the TBL, the Basketball League, joined by Dave Mowgli, who, like, was arrested for fraud at one point. <laughs> now, they had, like, that's where the, remember the guy that hit the Villanova shot? Yeah. He played there for, like, the, it was the Albany Patroons, who used to be a, a CBA team. Just playing that league. I think you can at least be some, uh, maybe a contender in that league. I would hope so. <laughs> there's 40 teams. It started out with eight teams. Now there's 40. So I guess that means when you add those that many teams in minor, I, I was really big into this for like a weird stretch in my life. <laughs> that was a very bad stretch in my life. I guess when you go from like, you know, a solid eight to ten teams and you add like 30, I guess that's when your league kind of gets like delegitimized. And okay. it's like, yeah, we pay you like 50 bucks after every game. And like these guys just do it because they can't give up their dream. They Like one guy was like, Kind of did like a little YouTube documentary with the editing skills of a fourth grader. <laughs> and it was like him, he was like an elementary school teacher. Then like afterwards he was like, yeah, I joined the team so I can feel good about myself again. And yeah, that, that's what they should do. Join the ABA, <laughs> join the, the basketball league and just don't air your games in the United States. Air them in like Yugoslavia or like Chechnya and just have like a couple Belarusian fans. That's what the Hornets should do. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's what I feel the Hornets should do. Like, the Hornets, I don't know why they gave North Carolina a team. Like, 
They put just put it back ne- in Seattle. Honestly, they've never been, put them in Seattle. Maybe yes. maybe let's not rele- relegate them to the. They NBA. should have relegation in the NBA. I'm sorry, you can't miss the playoffs for 15 straight years and not be relegated. We need to add that. I don't know. The Bulls would be relegated pretty soon here too. It gives them motivation to be good. <laughs> Honestly, just, like we just do the Bears, the Bears should have played. Yeah. The Bears should play. The D.C. defenders, and if we lose that game, we get relegated to the XFL. That's what they should have. I've posted many memes about that. I firmly believe that that should should happen. I think Abram Smith would have at least 100 yards against the Bears' defense. Without a doubt. Without a doubt in my mind. Probably. Jordan Tamu would look like Mitch Trubisky if he didn't have Matt Nagy. That's what he would look like. That's what I believe should happen. Relegation. Because, like, it's how are you going to go? Like, the Hornets have literally been bad for 20 years. Like, either that or the owners should be forced to sell the team. Kind of like how what the, the commanders are doing with Dan Schneider. Because they took a once elite franchise and turned them into literally, like, the Orlando Predators. Yeah. We got about five minutes here before we take a quick break. I wanted to ask you, Sackley and Josh. What's we'll up, Josh? What team do you feel like this year could make a Sacramento Kings type jump next season based on what you saw this year from them? Or exactly, if you got an answer, you can go. Yeah, if you got one. I think the Orlando Magic are going to be a legitimate force next year. I mean, Markel Fultz looks better every day. Literally every day he's getting better. You have Wagner, who's a very good player. Paolo Banchero is probably going to be the rookie of the year. He's only going to get better, especially when he works on his three-pointer. Wendell is getting better every day. He's, I feel, getting more and more comfortable getting the gym boiling out of his brain. Uh, they're going to have a two top ten picks. Well, no, they're not top ten. Cause, yeah, they're going to have at least one top ten pick because mm-hmm. they're going to have their own pick and then the Bulls if whatever happens with them. Uh, Jalen Suggs looks solid. I mean, they have a – Bull Bull was – dominating now he's like on the bench again but they just have so many good young players like they have like eight lottery picks on their team eight top 10 picks on their team Jonathan Isaac is out again but he looked cool for 10 minutes that he played in the last four years I think it's gonna be them I think they can at least be like a five or six seed next year Josh who do you think I definitely think the Jazz have some potential honestly if they uh, I think they need to get rid of Jordan Clarkson (laughs) he's a problem for them um, but, like, definitely keep Laurie and just kind of build – I feel like they should build around Laurie. I think right now he's at the top of his game, and he has a lot to offer still. And I feel like if you add the right pieces around him, that could be a really, really nice, like – I could see them, like, 6th, 7th seed. Definitely. If they, like, play together, play in unison type thing, like, and just find their – just find how, like – how the train rolls, I think it'll be good. It'll be a good team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the team that I'm looking at next season is the Indiana Pacers. Uh, there are some stretches this season where they looked really, really good. I think they had one of the best rookies, uh, Benedict Matherin, on their team. Uh, he kind of slowed down at the end of the year there in that like middle part of the season where he wasn't playing his best. But that first half of the season, he looked like he could be the rookie of the year um, if it weren't for Paolo Bancaro. Um, they're going to have another high pick. They were pretty – not great towards the end of the season. Tyrese Halliburton made his first all-star game. 
Uh, they still have guys like Jalen Smith, who's super young and super talented. Um, Chris Duarte, who is a very solid player, gives me a lot of like Malcolm Brogdon vibes, who's where he's just gonna be like a very solid player throughout his entire career, no matter where he is. Um, you know, this team just has a lot of talent and a lot of money too. Uh, they're not a very expensive team. Tyrese Halliburton's like the only person making anything on that team, and he's not even really making that much. Um, they have just endless possibilities right now, I feel like. And I think because of that, they're going to turn out next year, add one or two more guys, draft a really good young rookie, and it's off to the races for this team. You know, it's, it's the sky's the limit. All right, folks, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk the XFL and a little MLB. We'll be right back. We'll be right back with the BJB Show on WRSE. You're listening to WRSE, 88.7 Elmhurst. The sickest rock station in the suburbs. Stay tuned for more rock variety. Rock Variety Radio. Excellent. Holy cow. WRSE. In your face. In your face. Welcome back to the Blue Jay Boys Show. All right, folks, it's a little shorter break this week. The PSAs aren't working too well on the system. We're trying to get it figured out. Now that we are back, we're going to talk XFL and a little bit MLB. But first, let's start with the XFL. It's been a few weeks since we've talked about exactly what's been happening. I love the XFL. XFL is the best thing to happen in this country in like 10 years. So this week I thought was by far the best week of the XFL. I mean, you had a monster upset with the Orlando Guardians beating the 6-0 undefeated D.C. Defenders. Led by Quinn Dormany, who had three touchdown passes, three rushing touchdowns, after sabotaging his own team and the rest of the quarterbacks on this roster to get onto the field. Where else does that happen? <laughs> you had the Vipers, which this is why I love the XFL. Because we start the game, first drive of the game. Oh no, sorry, second drive of the game. The Las Vegas Vipers have the ball, playing on their Ju- Juco field. It's a high school field. <laughs> and they have Jaden McClendon starting at quarterback. Jaden McClendon has not started a game since his senior year of high school, which was in 2015. Right? And he goes out and starts this game, and he looks like a man that likes to play with boys. <laughs> he looks... Unstoppable this entire game. 21 of 31, 264 yards, two touchdown passes, second leading rusher. Do you mean a man that's amongst boys, not yeah, a man that yeah. plays with no, boys? There's like that TikTok sound where it's like, yeah, I like to play. And it's like a wrestler oh. and he like throws people. Yeah. Uh, okay. Thank God yeah. you added context. Yeah. 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 You ever seen it? It's like, it's, it'll be someone just like lifting weights. Yeah. No. no, you've never seen that? Keep going. Keep going. No. Okay. Keep going. Well, he looked unstoppable the entire game. But on the first drive, he throws a touchdown pass to their starting tight end, Sean Price. Sean Price is an active-duty police officer in Florida, one of the toughest towns in Ocala, Florida. That's one of the roughest towns in Florida. And he gets the ball at the 25 round. He makes he runs, 10. He stiff-arms the defense. It's like Derrick Henry versus Josh Norman. And then gets into the end zone. Like, where else do you see that? A guy who hasn't started a game in eight years and a guy who works, like, a full-time job. That's what the XFL is all about, opportunity. I love it. Like, we're, like in the NFL, you got 
guys who aren't happy and that they're only making $25 million a year. XFL, it's like, yeah, we'll give you forty grand and some beer in the locker room after the game. I'm in! Yeah! Like, that's an awesome story. Like, this is literally like the American dream type stuff. This is what it was all about. And you got CLC Dragons. They won five in a row. And they just signed Phil Lindsay, a Pro Bowl NFL running back a few years ago. Now the XFL is getting to a point where they're going all in and they're, they're signing free agents outside of their original pool. That I like to see. Yeah, Kurt Benkert starting for the Brahmas, who's like, you know, everyone likes Kurt Benkert. He's on Twitch. You know, he took a knee for the Packers at one time, and everyone was, like, really happy. That was fun. He was playing through two broken ribs. So he got absolutely hornswoggled the first drive of the game. Probably because he, there was an interview that was, like, he was walking on a beach with his kid, playing on a beach with his kid when the Brahmas gave him a call. He That was on Wednesday. Yeah. He went and flew to San Antonio on Thursday, didn't practice, just got the playbook and stuff. Practiced on Friday and then played the game on yes, Saturday. And he looked very good before he got his entire ribs just collapsed in on him. <laughs> like he looked good. And then you know, the Battle Hawks won again, which I, I watched the Player 54 kind of series, mm-hmm. which highlights all the teams. It's kind of like they're hard knocks, but in season. And like the city is St. Louis. Like this is their team. Like this is legitimately like who they root for every day. It's not just, like, some little fun sideshow that, like, you know, I like to talk about. Like, this is their, like, team. This is their, like, part of their identity. Like, they're getting 30,000, 40,000 people to come to their games every game. Mm-hmm. This is, like, their new Rams. Like, this is a big deal to them. Like, they got people dressing up as, like, Hawks and stuff <laughs> at their games. Like, they, the first game they ran out of, like, Anheuser-Busch products. <laughs> That's how big it was. Like, this is a big deal to these people. Like, this is, like, their team now. Like, this is awesome. Like, this league is great. Like, I love this. Like, you know those memes where it's like the it's like the Giga Chad who has like an eight-pack of ass? That's what the XFL is in my mind. Like, the NFL is like, mm, player safety. I haven't seen a single targeting call in this league. It's awesome. Like, they're, oh, we want fully guaranteed contract. XFL, 50000 some beer in the locker room. Sign me up, baby. <laughs> XFL is so awesome. I love it. I love the XFL. Um, We talked about it a little bit when the XFL first – you know, started uh, that first couple of weeks. Now that we are later in the season, starting to get closer to the end of the season, do you feel any more strongly that this league could potentially be a competitor for the NFL at one point? Like, a, like compete against the NFL? Mm-hmm. It'll never get to that, but it will be like, I think a couple years down the road, it'll be like, okay, a lot of players will be like, okay, do I sign the NFL, be a backup? but make more money, or do I get to go be a star in this league and, like, advance my career? I think it could get to that. I think it will be kind of like a like a G League towards the NFL, but, like, a little bit better than that because there will be more options. Like, I honestly feel that, like, some of these teams, especially, like, you know, the teams like Washington, St. Louis, uh, Houston, teams like that that have, like, a, a confirmed huge fan base, Add a couple teams in there, maybe like a Chicago team. I think that would do probably pretty well. It would just be really cold out. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe like even a team like in Green Bay or something like that. Uh, like Wisconsin. Milwaukee team. Yeah. Milwaukee team. Hey, come, come, come down. Come down. Yeah. Getting too excited. Yeah, I'd go watch a little Milwaukee <laughs> football, think, you know? Come on. <laughs> like, honestly, if you're a guy like A.J. McCarron, like, yeah, I'm going to go start in the XFL have a fun time instead of just being a backup. Guys like that. like Or like Phil Lindsay, like a guy like that. Like, if they start getting guys like that, more and more of them, 
Yeah, it's going to be a viable like thing. It will never compete with the NFL. It's just not how it's going to work. But it will, it will get to the thing is like, yeah, they could, you know, take a free agent away from a team here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of like how like the UFC and Bellator. That's kind of a good comparison. It's always going to be the UFC over them. But every once in a while, they'll take a guy, they'll steal a guy, they'll have a bigger moment, they'll have a bigger, they'll capitalize on the NFL screwing something up. It'll be like that. They're more innovative than the NFL with all the things they do. The one, two, three points. The you can hear the coaches, you can hear the quarterback. It's just, it's just more entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the other, the other big thing is that the football just got better yeah. since that, those first couple. The lines settled in, which is what bit. we said it would happen. You know, it would take them a yeah. little it took them, it adjusting took them a while, period. But they got there, <laughs> you know. And like I just like a, it's like it has like a certain like kind of like ragtag type of like guys feel to it that like everyone can kind of get behind like a bad news bears feel, <laughs> especially with like some of these teams like you know like the Guardians saying shut the f up in the huddle when we call the play like stuff like that or like the quarterback forgetting that he's mic'd and just like cursing his teammate out stuff like that like oh yeah this guy yeah he was. Uh, there's like there's there's been a couple like player profiles that I felt were unnecessary. They're like, oh yeah, he was like, he he like got arrested. Like why why do you need to say that on national television? Or like, <laughs> this, this man's like trying to fight for his career. Yeah, or like or like I saw part of the player fit for documentary. He's like, yeah, they cut me, so I had to go back to like door dashing and working at the steel plant. But then they called me again. So yay! His name was like David Torrentino. It was great. This is just such a great league. Like it's very like entertaining. Like, you got one guy, he's on this TLC Dragons. I forgot his name, but he's, like, the big Simone dude. He's from the island. And Dwayne Johnson's, like, part Simone. So he's really interested in this one player. He's a D lineman. And, like, he went to, like, literally Hawaii where he lives and, like, was t- talking to the guy's family. <laughs> was Roger Goodell ever going to do that? No. And, like, I always think it's kind of odd but kind of cool how it's, like, it's The Rock and his ex-wife yeah. that are running this. Like, talk about co-parenting. <laughs> like they're literally co-parenting an entire league. Like I feel like no one's talking. Like that's kind of cool. Like it's his ex-wife that he's doing it with. Like of all people, his ex-wife. And then like that one like business guy. That I don't know his name, but like he awkwardly interviewed him week one. He was like, I think we have a winner here. It's gonna be. And he was like, he, he, can, like, he can handle all the financial stuff. Yeah. The Rock's got all the personality for both of them. They got it. <laughs> this league is awesome. It's a lot of fun to watch. I mean, it's just like it's not just more fun for the fans. It's you can see it in the players. The players are just having fun playing football in the XFL. Um, do you think that you know with the NFL still always trying to look for expansion and stuff like that? Do you think any of these franchises have a shot to become an NFL franchise out of the XFL? Definitely. I mean, or at least. More so the towns in which they're mm-hmm. in. Like St. Louis, they need an NFL team. Yeah. They deserve an NFL team, without a doubt. Uh, some of these other teams, I, maybe San Antonio, just because they get 30,000. They even had 30,000 people show up to the old AF games, the AF <laughs> games. I could see them giving a team if they were really that dead set on expansion. Yeah. Those two teams, uh, I mean, other, yeah, other than St. Louis and – I feel that's the only real viable option. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I could see the battle. Or at least the town of St. Louis becoming an NFL team again. 
Yeah, I mean, just strictly based off, like you were talking about before, the amount of fans that St. Louis yeah. has. In like, games. it's a big deal. Like, to us, it's kind of just like a fun size show that makes, like, these boring weekends when, better. When there's no college yeah. or NFL, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's kind of just like a fun meme that we like and that, like, I really kind of like. But to them, it's like, this is their team now. We were abandoned by the Rams. This is our team. This is who we're rooting for, and they show up every week. And you, you got to know, like, the Rams' ownership has to be kicking themselves. Just because you... Nobody want, cares about them in L.A. Like, I don't, like, Stan Kroenke is a good businessman, obviously. But, like, I really want to know, like, the financial details. Because, like, the cost of everything, the taxes are all exponentially higher in California than in, than in Missouri. And just for nobody to care about you. Nobody in L.A. Like, cares about No football. one did. They were literally in the Super Bowl. No one cared. Like, there's, their parade had, like, 2,000 people <laughs> at it. Like, there was more, there was a bigger parade at the Elmhurst St. Patrick's Day Parade, <laughs> an unofficial, while we're all incapacitated. <laughs> there was a bigger crowd there than at the Los Angeles Rams <laughs> Super Bowl Parade. Like, and then he's paying top dollar because they, they go in all year, every year. Like, all their home games, it's majority away. Like, I don't know how, like, this is more profitable. They spent $500, billion on, $500 million a piece, because I, I believe they split it with the Chargers on that new stadium. Like, I really don't know how that's profitable. I really don't. With the taxes out there, and, like, a lot of companies don't go to states like that to start businesses. Like, I, I really don't know how it's profitable. I could see maybe the first couple of years when they just got that, the Coliseum or where they're at, and they, like, kind of filled it up because that's, like, 100,000 seats. It's, like, because it's, like, college Olympian stadium. Mm-hmm. But after that, like, I don't know how they're going to pay off the, whatever type of loan they have to build the stadium. They must... I know he, he owns some other sports teams, so maybe he, since he privately owns the stadium, it wasn't publicly publicly funded, uh-huh. he can kind of do stuff all year at that stadium. That's the only way this, is, this whole thing is profitable because yeah. no one cares about the Rams. This year when they were bad, it was like – it looked like an XFL game in the stands. Like, it looked worse than an XFL yeah. game. You look at some of so these big, DC yeah. Defender games, and their oh, stadiums are packed. I love, I love the fans, like the beer snakes every week. They should just replace the – Commanders, like yes. that should just flip yes. them, just flip them yes. out. Just send Daniel Snyder to China. Send him to Alcatraz. Yes. <laughs> Reopen it just for him. In all, in all <laughs> honesty, that man should be in jail he for probably, what he's done. Not especially, he should, yeah. especially the like the innocent young ladies that were the cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. You're like, I don't understand why. Like, it must be nice to be have that much money because exactly. you can just do whatever you want. Like the stuff that has been said and has been alleged. He should be in jail for 25-plus years for what he did to those cheerleaders, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah. Like those, I feel really bad for those poor – a lot of cheerleaders, like, they have, like, day jobs. Like, this is just, like, their passion. And he's, like, forcing them to, like, pose naked in front of, like, stockholders or, like, take naked – like, what is that? Like, mm-hmm. you should be in jail. Yeah. It's – like, he's – the reports say he literally just used the team as, like, his own, like, pocketbook. For extra money. Like, he didn't care about the team. You could tell. Everything he did, the stadium was in shambles. It's terrible. His employees, not, like, even beyond all the sexual misconduct that went on, his employees were treated awfully. Yeah. And, like, that's not Players including that's well not either. including the sexual misconduct. All the Sean Taylor stuff that he's botched in the last couple of years. Seems like whenever he was under a big investigation or a big news article came out, oh, it's under Sean Taylor today with the worst assembled thing I've ever seen. And I think he, he knew he... Obviously didn't care, first of all. But second of all, he knew that if he made it so bad that it would 
bring up more attention than whatever investigation was going on. Because it did. People were more mad about the Sean Taylor thing than anything that was going on, like, illegally behind the scenes. Like he's literally breaking laws with some of, like, the financial things that he, he does. Mm-hmm. It's, it's terrible. And, and his punishment is that he has to sell the team for billions of dollars. Six billion that he's going to get. Exactly. His punishment is he gets six billion dollars. It's awful. Who world we live in? It really, it really stinks because the Washington franchise was like a flagship franchise, an elite franchise. It like, still, it still should be. Like, they have a good team right now. They, they were good <laughs> in in the original days of the NFL. They won a Super Bowl in the eighties. I believe no, they won two Super Bowls in the eighties. They won a Super Bowl in the nineties and were a perennial playoff team. He buys them in 1999. They've made, like, three playoff appearances since, and they lost, like, the first round every time. One of them was when they were 7-9. and nine. Mm-hmm. It's a shame. It really, I feel bad for the franchise when your team is, like, once a glorious team and it's being held captive by, like, a guy who just doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like there should be some type of, like, safeguard or if your team's that bad for that long, you have to sell it. There really should be some type of – there never will be, but there should be some type of rule. The owners need to be held more accountable yeah. is really what it is, especially when, like, you look at the franchises around him, like, just in the NFC East and how much they're doing to try to compete in yeah. year in and year out. All three of those teams, they all three are renovating their stadiums. They all three make sure they have some of the best turfs in the league. They all make sure they honor their legends like they should, and they all make sure that, well, I wouldn't say they all make sure, but they're trying their hardest not to have any, you know, illegal issues off the field that – interrupts the business of the franchise yeah it's he's a bad guy he's a bad cookie yeah it's, it's a shame it really is so everybody vote for the dc defenders to be moved to nfl in place of the washington commanders Screw it. why not <laughs> have some accountability mm-hmm. yeah um kind of wrap up this XFL discussion. Sackley, I wanted you to give me your power rankings of the XFL here before we get close to the playoffs. Power rankings, I mean, the divisions are kind of lopsided. The North is significantly better than the South. For my power rankings, I currently have D.C. still at number one. I'm going to go with Seattle, number two. They're red hot, won five in a row, just picked up a good running back. Cause they, the running back, the running game's been very bad. Nucci, I believe, is their leading rusher. Mm-hmm. And Denucci. <laughs> I'm going to have Seattle. Oh, not Seattle. St. Louis in number three. I think they're, they're very consistent. They have the best quarterback in the league, in my opinion. Their defense is legit. Their whole line just needs to be good enough for now. They have the receivers. I like them. That's my team. I have them at number three. They have Houston at number four. I mean, they started red hot at 4-0. They've lost the last three. They have quarterback issues. Uh... They're kind of falling off a little bit. They're fading very quickly. Uh, number five, I'm going to go with the San Antonio Brahmas. They're, they're a good team. It's just they're the most injured team in the league. All five offensive linemen are out. They've had Jack Cohn got hurt at quarterback. Juwan Pass got hurt at quarterback. Kirk Bunker got hurt at quarterback. They actually have statistically the number one defense in the league. They're just injured. They have the Arlington Renegades at six. Hopefully Luis Perez can save that terrible <laughs> offense. Tried. He tried. He, he, <laughs> he didn't play this week because he just got traded, but who knows, maybe. They have the defense to be a top team in this league. I'll put them at number six. Vegas, I'm going to put them at number seven. I debated putting them at six, but I'm keeping it at seven for now. They've 
found their quarterback, I guess. That's why they traded Luis Perez. Jaden McClellan looked great. Their defense is still terrible, but I believe, yeah, they have the second-worst defense in the league. But I think they'll get better. And then at number, number eight, we have the Orlando Predators. Or Guardians, sorry. Guardians. <laughs> they should be the Predators. You always complain about that. That's not a Guardian on their helmet. <laughs> I think Guardian is more so kind of like biblical, like angel-looking type thing. Not a cougar. <laughs> they won their first game. Good for them. I think their coach is terrible. He's so bad. He's so bad. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's a travesty how it's bad this so guy is. It's so funny, though. Like, I feel bad because, like, a lot of African-Americans have a hard time getting a head coaching job. Like, as we've seen in the NFL. And, like, he's not helping the cause at all. <laughs> that is the worst coach team in this league by far i think that they just need to get rid of this whole staff i've never seen just it's bad they're number eight they still are alive in their division i think they can win this week especially if quinn dormy plays like that again i think they'll have a shot to finish second in their division only two games out with three games to go i think it's possible they're my number eighteen. All right. And to be honest, I thought this team had was going into the season. I thought they were like the second or third most talented team. Mm-hmm. They have the talent. It's just the offensive line, and they're just not a well coached team. They just need a year or two. You know, I think many years. <laughs> we'll we'll see how they do uh, and see how that season, the rest of the season is going to go. We'll yeah. catch up with you guys on them back when the playoffs start. All that fun stuff. Let's move on and let's talk about a little baseball. I know Josh was super hyped to talk about baseball and the Chicago Cubs here. Uh, they got a big win today. Um, but the rest of the beginning and that opening weekend didn't go as great besides <clears throat> winning that first game on opening day. Josh, what are some things you've liked so far from the Cubs? Um, I like how consistent they are on defense. Other than, like, the other mess-ups with, like, Hap that we talked about. Um, and they're still trying to figure out their whole right field situation because Seiya's still out right now. Um, but their their consistency on defense, besides their pitching. Their pitching is probably one of the worst things right now. And I think they probably have one of the worst bullpens in the league. Um, we, I think right now we're just trying to just put up what we have on the mound until Hendricks can come back because he's still recovering from his shoulder injury. Um, And right now we're playing with fire. Like we're fighting fire with fire, in my opinion, with the whole pitching uh, problems we're having. But we're getting it done on offense, which is huge. You know, Swanson is, I think the stat for yesterday, he was 7-9, but he had a good night tonight, I believe. Um... So that went up, obviously. Horner's a great leadoff guy. I like him at leadoff. Um, Hap is doing really good things still. Bellinger is having a slow start. Um, Kind of expected it. You know, there was a lot of talk that he wasn't really going to be having the best success at the plate because he's obviously on like this downward spiral since we've seen him with the Dodgers. But he had a really good game today. He got on base a lot. You know, um, I didn't know yesterday he had his first home run. Um, but, yeah, I mean, 
this Cubs team has a lot of potential, not World Series potential, but we have enough to actually have, like, a really good season, not to where we have, like, a first rough half and then hit the All-Star break and then have that really good second half after the All-Star break. I think we can be a really good, consistent team uh, throughout the whole season, but I don't think good enough for playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when I'm looking at this team, like I'll, I'll go down the lineup too, what I'm, what I'm thinking. Nico Horner, I think, has the ability to be like a 40-double guy this season. Um, he has a lot of pop in his bat, and it's not like he doesn't have a lot of power, but it has this like exit velo that is just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And then his speed, like exactly just, choom, you know. <laughs> and then he has the speed that will be able to get him those extra base hits. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's all we need him to do. If that's our leadoff guy is getting like 40 doubles, which, again, I think he has the ability to do. He has the ability to be an all-star this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, his glove by itself is enough to keep him in like the all-star discussion. Like, I, he's going to be a gold glover this year. I, at least I hope he is. I don't think there's much guys better at second base in the league. Um, but if he can just match it on the offensive side of the ball, and he has so far, um, I think he already has, like, four or five hits. I think he had a hit, two hits today, so that should make six hits. Uh, three runs already on the season. That's all you can ask from a leadoff hitter, and that's in the first series and a half. You know, number two, Dansby Swanson's been fantastic so far. He is making contact on almost every single one of his at-bats. Um, he's had, like, a couple games where he had no hits, but, I mean, that's, it's MLB. It's going to happen. Besides that, he's had, like, three multi-hit games, including today, I'm pretty sure. Um, so he's just been everything we needed him to be. He's still not really taking that next step on the defensive side of things, but, I mean, he's good enough to the point where he's able to stay at that shortstop position. And if it doesn't work out anymore and he starts getting worse, you can just move Nico to shortstop and move Dansby to second base. I don't think that's going to be too big of a switch for either one of them. Um, you know, going on to Bellinger, <laughs> I want to talk about Bellinger for a little bit. Cody Bellinger is not good anymore. Like, we can all accept that. He did have three hits today. He did, but he is not good anymore. Before today, he had one hit, and that was the home run. He went the whole entire Brewer series without a hit. He is not going to be an MVP. And I think a lot of people that saw when he signed with the Cubs, they were like, He's going to turn it around. He has the ceiling of, of an MVP. He does not have the ceiling of an MVP. Who anymore. said that? A lot of people. A lot really? of Cubs fans. Why do you think it was such a big signing? Nobody would have cared if they didn't think he had the potential to be that good again. But a lot of people cared. So when people are watching these first couple of games and they're a little disappointed, I want to point out the fact that he is making contact and getting out by contact like 10 times more than he was as a Dodger. He was striking out so much and swinging at some of the worst pitches I have ever seen. It was Javi Baez-esque. As a Cubs fan, you know that's scary because Javi Baez was swinging at some bad pitches. <laughs> uh, he still swings at some bad pitches. Um, but you saw that in Bellinger when he was with the Dodgers. And then now with the Cubs, although it's been a small sample size, he's making contact with pitches that he should be making contact with it's just the next step is starting to put them into play again and today like exactly said before he had three hits and that's just that next step of him just starting to put that into play he's not going to have 45 home runs again i think we should be happy if he has 20 home runs this season and even 10 like uh, i think he can get 20 i'll give him 20 
I think, I think, so. I think Wrigley's a better home run park than LA. I no, think you can get it. I don't disagree with you, but I don't think we're going to get that side of Bellinger. I think we're going to get the side of Bellinger where he gets on base more. And I think that's what we need because I feel like I can trust Wisdom and Hap to get home runs more than him as of right now. I don't know. I, wisdom, definitely. Hap, I don't know if I trust too much more. I think they're probably at the same power level if mm-hmm. I'm going to, like, Talk about an MLB the show terms. They probably are going to hit about the same amount of home runs this season. And I think, they, again, I think they both can be 20 home run guys. And then Wisdom can be a 27, 28, 29, 30 home run guy. That's pretty good. Yeah. And then you add on 10 more from Horner. Dansby Swanson adds on 15 more. That's a that's a pretty t- solid home run hitting squad. Yes. Um, The thing about Bellinger and with him getting on base more, I also like, is that People will be able to see the athleticism he has mm-hmm. as a player more when he gets on base like that. Um, I think that makes him a little more of a weapon, and people haven't really seen that. And then also his defensive side of things. He's still a very good defensive outfielder. Uh, like you were saying, we're still looking for that other right fielder right now while Seiya's out. Um, I want to mention Christopher Morrell, who is, is sitting in the minor leagues right now, who they sent down before the season. I really thought he was going to be able to step up and kind of take over that role in right field for a little bit. Uh, Why is he in the minors? They sent him down right before the season. That's it was a, also because he was playing center field, but yeah. Bellinger plays center. Yeah, so. Bellinger's the better center fielder. And because they wanted to start playing Mastroboni, who I love his name, first of all. Mastroboni. Um, he hasn't been, like, bad, but he's, like, it's, who is he? Why not just play Christopher Morell when you have him, who played really well last season? I mean, he's doing better than Gomes. Oh, my God. Let's talk about Gomes for a little bit. Uh, Gomes is one of the worst defensive catchers I have ever laid my two eyes on, and I hate him. He's ancient. He's so old. (laughs) And I I don't actually hate him, but I hate him because Wilson Contreras was one of my favorite players, like, in all of baseball. Uh, Not even just, like, as a Cubs fan, just all all of baseball all time. Um, And, of course, he had to go to the stupid Cardinals. I hate the Cardinals. They lost today. Heck yeah. It's a, great, it's a great day to be a Cubby. <laughs> um, but, like, watching that transition from Wilson Contreras to Jan Gomes is so painful. That first game, Jan Gomes had, like, four passed balls. And granted, Marcus Stroman wasn't throwing the best pitch on all, like, four of those passed balls. Jan Gomes could at least put his body in front of them. Yeah. Like, it was bad. And then in that same game, in that first game, Ian Happ had that miscue with the fly ball. And hopefully he can be a little better because he was a gold glover, gold glover last year. And that was, like, you can see that. Starting more, it was just kind of like a bad play. But it also kind of scares me with how bad the pitching has been that we could see a lot more defensive errors pop up if guys can't stop other the other team from hitting the ball. And that could be really detrimental to the Cubs moving forward. And like you were saying, the defense isn't there for them to, like, back up their offense right now and their offense isn't fully developed yet um kind of keep going down uh patrick wisdom two home runs the other day uh was looking really good wasn't looking great through like the beginning of spring training and then that like first few games but then hits the two home runs the other night i think that's huge for his confidence and as he grows as a player um i kind of hope that it can also translate to a defensive help, too, because he's not all there defensively. And while he can continue to grow as a batter, I want him to continue to grow as a defender, too. 
Um, and I think having a guy like Eric Hosmer on the team can kind of help with that. Uh, the only problem is Eric Hosmer is not the same player that he was, so him being on the team, although can help with the younger guys, isn't really helping the Cubs overall. Um, I think he has the ability to be an MVP caliber player like he was in his career, but kind of along with the same lines as Cody Bellinger's, he's not going to. Like, we, we know that. But he needs to be able to be a usable player for the Cubs, and I don't think he is that at this point in his career. You saw it a lot last season. Um, and then, like, just a mix of him and Jan Gomes and having guys like that on the field all the time just kind of takes away from the youth that this team is really looking for. I think the Cubs have guys in their minor leagues that could step up and play bigger roles uh, later in the season to where these guys are kind of phased out. And I think neither of those guys are probably going to be on the team by the trade deadline. I think they're both guys that are going to be, especially if the Cubs are just going to sit at like 500 this season, which is, I think, like best, best case scenario. Like, I think they should just start bringing up those guys now versus keeping them down behind an Eric Hosmer and a Jan Gomes. And I understand you want these guys to be able to teach other people, but they're not really teaching anything if they're not playing well. You know, you don't learn anything from those guys if they can only hit 220. Can't block a pass ball to save their lives. Have to be moved from third base to first base because you can't play third base anymore. You know, it's, it's, you know, kind of a waste of time right now to be doing this, especially when the division is so wide open. The Brewers are good, but they're not good the cardinals are good but they're not good you know like (laughs) and then the pirates and reds are just in shambles so you have perfect ample opportunity to take over with a young core but you have to want to take that next step and take that leap and hope that the young guys can carry forward and not put so much faith in a couple washed guys who aren't doing anything worth note yeah. and just taking up playing time from these young guys. Yeah. Um, you know, as I was saying, you know, the Cubs could potentially be like a 500 team. At that trade deadline, are there any players in the league that you're looking at right now and saying that could be the guy the Cubs go after and help us push to the next level? Um, It's like these are just like wide shots, you know, nothing that – is actually realistic, but uh, Sidney uh, Alcantara, he would be an amazing asset for us pitching-wise, especially when Hendricks comes back healthy because then Hendricks will actually know he actually has another guy in his bullpen mm-hmm. that can actually keep up with him because I feel like at the time that when we had, like, Hendricks and Lester and we had, um, what's his name? Arietta, yeah. When we had all three of them, they all were able to rely on the next guy up. Obviously, when it came to, like, closers, we had Araldis Chapman, and then we had some other guys that were pretty Rondone. good. But, like, once those guys started leaving and we still had Hes- Lester and Hendricks, they were still able to, like, kind of feed off of each other. I feel like right now we don't have anyone. Like, we don't have a big name. Like, on our offense, we have big names. You know, we have Swanson now. And we have Bellinger. We have Hosmer. I feel like we need a big name who's consistent in the bullpen in order for that section of our team to actually be good. Because I feel like right now with our offense, is it's so good because we know how consistent these guys can be. But that's what we lack right now in the bullpen. I feel like a big name like Alcantara might be good or 
Um, the who's the Toronto pitcher? I can't think of his name. Um, he's the heavier set guy. Pablo Lopez. No, is that who you're thinking of? Yeah, Manoa. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He like he would be an absolute dog for us. Like I think he'd be a, such a great resource for us because he's he's still young, he's energetic, he's got a really nice curveball on him. Mm-hmm. Like he he's really good, and we can. He's still like you said, he's still young. Get him for something, you know. I wouldn't mind trading a pick or some players for him. Um, but I mean, I think that's where it starts, you know, with getting rid of the guys that you were talking about that you don't think that'll be here on trade deadline, but. Go out and get something. Don't just sit there and do nothing, you know? Yeah, and I, I like what you were saying about Alcantara because he's, first of all, going to be due for a contract pretty soon, and the Marlins are, like, stuck in this phase of mediocrity, and they don't really know where they're going, and he's a little bit older than their rest of their talent on their team. Like, Jazz Chisholm's a little younger. Um, a lot of their younger pitchers are, you know, starting to come Danny up. Cueto is just as older, yeah. as older, older. The, the Marlins... If they are competing, I don't think they're shopping Alcantara, but if they are not competing at the trade deadline and they're sitting about where the Cubs are, I think he is a prime trade target for any team. I think that'd be fantastic for the Cubs. I think that's a really good guy to go after because you're right. You know, Marcus Stroman is a good number two pitcher. You know, Justin Steele showed out in that second game of the season and pitched really well, and he's a guy who needs, like, they need somebody else to take the pressure off of him. And, you know, that goes with Kyle Hendricks being older and coming off of a couple of injuries. He hasn't been able to stay healthy these past few years. Yeah, no, he hasn't. Um, and he's he's old. He's an old man now. Uh, you look at these other two pitchers that weren't didn't play well, you know. You need somebody to kind of just center that group and be like, I'm going to take the heat for, like, if I throw a bad game, that's on me. I'm going to get most of the blame. Like, they're not going to talk about you guys anymore. Just go out there and play baseball. You know, and while that's Manoa would be like, I would love to have Alec Manoa. The problem is, is the Blue Jays are going to be good this season. Yeah. Like really good, I think. Um, And I think they're going to want to keep him because their rest of their starting pitching isn't there as much. They have Kevin Gossman, who just like came onto the scene last year after being in the league for like eight years and then just blew up. So they're going to try to center on that. But if for some reason they're not good, and I mean, the AL East is going to be a rock fight out there. You know, New York's going to be competing just as they always do. The Orioles have, I think, a really sneaky chance to be a like borderline playoff team. It's going to be a rock fight. And if the Blue Jays can't keep fighting, I think that could be a guy that could potentially be on the market if they fall apart. Um, you know, looking more into the offseason and talking about other teams that aren't really, like, living up to their potential. Shohei Otani is most likely going to be definitely looking at other teams this offseason. Yeah. How much do you think that changes the Cubs franchise if they could get a guy like Shohei Otani? If we could get a guy like Otani, bro, I don't think we'd ever have to worry about, like, signing people because people will want to come here by themselves. Getting a guy like Otani, who's a two-way player in outfield and in pitching, makes everything so much better for a team like us. Because we have everything else, and if he ever just wanted to play left, right, whatever, we could put him there. Especially since him and Cesaya are friends, you know? 
Like, it, it wouldn't be a matter of, like, oh, like, let me play this, that, whatever. But I feel like he would be that guy that we need to really step up and take the pressure off. And I feel like he would alleviate a lot of it. Not all of it, but he would alleviate a lot of the pressure that we have on us because we know how consistent he can be. And he's still super young. Like, like, and the one guy I was going to talk about before we moved to Otani was that Sasaki. Hmm. I, if the Cubs would have signed him, bro, that kid, he's only 19. The dude's an animal. Like, he's throwing just like Otani. He's throwing 100s after another. The thing with him is, like, the way in Japan, he has to, like, wait until he's, like, 26 or something like that before yeah. he can be signed. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's a weird age gap thing. I definitely feel like they should change that because it would be more popular. The only, the only problem with that is that the Japanese, the JBL would be not having it because keeping guys like that for at least six years keeps them around. Yeah. Because if it, the MLB could just poach every good player, they would the be screwed. It keeps the sport alive, too, yeah. in exactly. Japan. Exactly. Because, I mean, the, only, the second biggest sport in Japan, or one of the biggest sports, is volleyball. Because, like, when they go to the Olympics, the summer games, like, they love volleyball. Um, but yeah, like a guy like, uh, Otani would be detrimental to us because he, like, not only does he help on the defensive side of things with the pitching, his offense is immaculate. Him and Trout, like on the angels, like are probably the best players in their organization ever mm-hmm. when it comes to at bats. Like those guys are ridiculous. What, what do you think the Cubs have to do this season in order to prove to a guy like Shohei Otani that it's worth coming to Chicago? I think they need to prove definitely that our offense can stay consistent because if, like, say he just wants to pitch, you know, and, like, he doesn't want to do the whole offensive side of things and save his arm because he knows he's quite on the getting close to the older side and whatnot and whatever, I definitely think that we need to prove that we can stay consistent with the offense and continue with the hits, getting guys on base, getting guys in. Because we do, we have a notorious tendency to leave guys on base. Like, it just happened today. We left bases loaded, and we it, we left them on, you know? So I feel like that's number one. I feel like definitely number two is the defense needs to stay consistent as well. Not with the pitching. I feel like someone like at his caliber with how he knows how the game is played from a pitching standpoint, he knows that our pitching is awful. Like, I can tell you right now, like, he knows that just from another, like, just looking at highlights. Playing against it before and hitting home runs. Yeah, so <laughs> he knows they're, they, that's where they lack, and that's somewhere where he could be like, hey, I know you need a pitcher, but if everywhere else can, like, stay not the same – but, like, go up a little bit in, like, skill and whatever. But also, like, I, th- I like how you said, like, bring up guys and have them start playing. Like, that Pete Crow Armstrong kid, mm-hmm. he's a dog. I or think that- he, can, he can play anywhere on the field. Yeah. Too. Everybody's like, he's only a center fielder. He's only a seventh fielder. First of all, he's, like, seven foot eleven, and, like, has the <laughs> longest wingspan of anybody I've ever seen playing baseball. Throw him at first base, dude. He'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. He'll figure it out. He's a dog. Yeah, or that kid uh, that we drafted, number one, uh, the shortstop. He's, he's from yeah. Illinois. He played on the Jackie Robinson team here. Yes. Yeah. Um, but also, I feel like we need to start, like, um, getting more catchers in our feeding systems. I feel like we have good ones, but we need more. 
because I don't think we'll ever find someone like Contreras ever again. He like he would like that was a magic trick for us. But we need to start to get, you know, I've always heard that we have good prospects in catching in our Iowa farm and other feeder farms, but they never pan out. And it's like, why? It's, well, we stick them in the minors for so long and they just die there. I feel like that's something, like, I agree with you. Like, we need to start bringing guys up because I, I think that's what's going to help us. What I think with catchers is that it would be easier to go out and trade for somebody's second catcher because there's a lot of teams in the league. So you were talking about the Blue Jays before. They are starting um, – uh, they have Danny Jensen starting at their DH, I think. I don't think he – or is it the other way around? Oh, what's the big guy who's the all-star list? Alejandro Kirk. He was uh, – I think he's a DH and Danny Jensen's the catcher. You could go out and get one of those guys because they're not – first of all, they're not going to pay both of them, and both of them are good enough behind the dish – Dan Jensen's a little better than Kirk. Uh, good enough behind the dish, but also, like, young, too. So they're both going to be solid hitters, solid behind the dish, and young. And the Blue Jays aren't going to be able to pay both of them. Why not just throw an offer out there at them? Mm-hmm. There's other teams, like, the Mariners have a couple good catchers. Um, like, the Rangers have a couple good young catchers. Like, there's these teams that are just stocked. Dude. In, rate, in catchers. You might as well just go and try to trade for one of those guys. And Adley Rutschman? Oh, I don't think we're getting Adley Rutschman. Bro, no, imagine, though. Or oh, my God. They never will. The Orioles will lock that man up for 40 years before they trade him away. They no, don't, definitely. I don't care how bad they are. They love that. But imagine, like, just one day he gets so, like, frustrated. He's like, I'm going to go to Chicago. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it over here. <laughs> I don't know if he would choose Chicago, too. I don't. That'd be the best thing, like, the best news in the world, bro. Uh-huh. I think that's when you get, like, if something so drastic as that happened and he, he signs with the Cubs, I think Otani looks at that and be like, that's it. I know I have a catcher that I can rely on. The, the other thing I would be looking at catcher-wise is looking at some of these teams that are a little bit older and they're competing right now, but if for some reason they're not competing, they're going to have guys available. Uh, one team that I've, like, stuck on is the Philadelphia Phillies because they have – very much the upside to win a World Series, but have very much the possibility to not be a good baseball team. Uh, they spent a lot of money in some key pieces, but they also are missing a lot in like their reserves and their rotation guys. Uh, and they're in one of the hardest divisions in baseball in that NL East. Um, if there's a shot that a guy like JT Real Muto is going to be available just because his contract is so high and is starting to get later in that deal, and they just paid Trey Turner... They have Bryce Harper still on contract. They have both their two starting pitchers in Zach Wheeler and Aaron Noah under big contracts. And they end up third in their division because they can't compete with the Mets. And, um, oh, my gosh, they can't compete with the Mets and the Braves. Um, that could be a team that could be looking at, you know, trying to go more a young route because they have so much in their, you know, young stars that guys, veterans like that could be more open. Um, you know, and – you know, kind of going back to the Rangers, they're kind of in the same spot. They have a lot of talent on that team, but then there's going to be guys available if they are not good because they have so many veterans that are under big contracts. So they're going to have to start getting rid of guys. So there's always these teams that you just got to pay attention to, especially coming in towards that trade deadline. And I'm not saying JT Real Mutu will be available at that trade deadline, but in the offseason if they're not very good or at next year's trade deadline because baseball is such a 
three-year game versus like football and basketball. It takes a long time to rebuild your roster compared to those other sports. So if you start looking at these possibilities now, it makes it easier to make that move when those possibilities play out in reality. Mm -hmm. And if you start planning ahead with some of these prospects, some of these picks, some of these, you know, mid-aged guys like Ian Happ and stuff like that and start being like, well, maybe if we wait a half or half a year or a year and a half, we can go out and get a JT Real Muto in that time span. And then because of that, you're automatically a playoff contender because you add one of the best players in baseball on a team that he wasn't happy with anymore or a team that didn't feel like they needed to pay that contract anymore. So we'll see how that goes. <clears throat> kind of just talking about the MLB overall, were there any teams – that you saw a lot of promise from in this opening weekend? Minnesota. Minnesota looks pretty cool. I like their New Jerseys, too. Mm -hmm. But um, Minnesota's been playing some good baseball, man. Like, um, what was it? I think it was today. Was it today? Let's see. No, it was yesterday. No, sorry, today. <laughs> I'm wrong. It was yesterday. Uh, Joey Gallo had a really, like, Joey Gallo's so good. Like he's such a great baseball player. Like he's so consistent when he when he's that bat, it's insane. Um, the the big thing with Joey Gallo, and people were saying this. One of my favorite creators on YouTube, Fuzzy, he talks about baseball. And he's a huge Joey Gallo fan, and he was he's been saying all season. He's like, once they get rid of the shift, Joey Gallo will be an all star again. And like you're saying, they got rid of the shift, and he's been on fire to start off this season. Yeah. I, I definitely think the the Rays the Rays are a fun team. Uh, they're five and zero right now. They just won today, ten to six. I would say the Mets, but they don't have Edwin Diaz. If they would have had Edwin Diaz, they start off five and zero probably. Their pitching is like just nowhere to be found for some reason. Yeah, the Brewers have been rocking them the past two days, and the Brewers don't know how to play offense. Yeah. They're the ones that are hitting the ball all the time or uh, pitching well all the time. And they can't, like, the somehow the Mets are just falling apart. And their offense is trying really hard because they put up a lot of runs against the Brewers, too. But they can't keep up with how bad their pitching is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just show me a video of uh, the Brewers going back-to-back -back off Max Scherzer. Yeah. Max Scherzer was a lot of people Cy Young at the beginning of yeah. this year, tied with... Corbin Burns, who was also really bad in his opening start. Yeah, Corbin Thanks, Burns Vincent. is bad. Um, the guard, I like the Guardians. Like we talked about um, last semester, was they're a young team, they're a fun team, they're you know they're meshing together really well, and I think it's only going to get better for them, honestly. Yeah. I mean, the Guardians and the Rays both just know how to develop talent. They like pick and choose their guys that they want to develop and they go all in on developing those guys. And it's led to a lot of success for them. And I think there's some teams that are trying to copy that, but there's still a lot of teams that are just buying talent in order to buy talent. And I know I've, like, picked on the Rangers a lot, but I really don't think the Rangers are going to be good. And they spent a lot of money on that team and barely developed any of their talent. And they're going to regret that, I think, soon, while the Rays and the Guardians are just consistently playoff World Series contending teams by just having guys in-house and knowing when to move on from guys and knowing which guys to bring in. Yep. They do it so well. I mean, you just look at the Rays with Wander Franco has looked fantastic yeah, to start really off has, this yeah. year. 
Jose Siri has come out of nowhere, and he played well last year, but he's just been on fire to start off the beginning of this year. You know, their whole team is just wanting, like, again, when I was talking about the playoffs last year, one of the big things I was saying is that vibe matters so much in baseball. A team's vibe and the way they, like, look when they're playing baseball matters so much. And with the Guardians, I was saying how much fun they looked like they were having when they were playing baseball. And they've carried it right on over into this year. And the Rays look like they're just having fun when they were playing. Randy Arozarena is so much fun to watch. He took it right from the World Baseball Classic into the MLB opening weekend and has just kept looking like one of the most fun players in the MLB. He's not like an MVP candidate, and I don't think he ever really will be in his career, but one of my favorite players of all time, my favorite player of all time is Carlos Gomez. And Randy Arozarena reminds me a lot of Carlos Gomez where he just makes electrifying plays on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball and is just constantly having fun no matter what the game is like. <clears throat> and I think that's huge for baseball players because, again, that huge like vibe. And it's not just like for a team. Yes, it matters for a team like the Guardians, for the whole team just to be on a vibe. But for one player and like as a player, you have to have a good vibe in order to play well. And you're not seeing pitches well if you don't have a good vibe. You're not playing the best route on defense if you're not having a good vibe that day. And it's all about the cold streaks and hot streaks. And the best way to stay on a hot streak is to keep that mindset that you're on a hot streak and having fun even when you're not. And Randy Rosarena knows how to do that. Wander Franco knows how to do that. This Rays team just knows how to do that. And I think because of that, they're perennially going to be World Series contenders no matter who's on the field for them. But they're going to have Wander Franco on the field for another nine years because of that massive contract he signed. They're going to pay Randy Arozarena probably because they know he's a guy that is a part of the rebuild of this team. And they don't pay guys. like So to be able to earn a contract from the Rays is a really big deal. Their pitching staff is insane. Tyler Glasnow didn't play last season. And he's still going to have a great year this year. I love Tyler Glasnow. Isn't that where the Padres got Blake Snell from? Uh, yes, he came yeah. from there. Yeah, um, You know, like, it's just uh, Shane McClanahan is a fantastic pitcher. They have a couple younger guys that are just being able to fill in those, like, three, four, five spots but are still doing it at a fantastic, like, pace. They just step right in. Uh, another team that does it, the Astros, figure out how to build t- talent just from their uh, minor leagues and stuff like that. They don't trade very much. They don't do super big signings. They signed Jose Abreu this year for a bag of chips, basically, for what a guy like him is worth. You know, I'm so like, glad they have a losing record. <laughs> but they're not going to have a losing record their whole entire season. Well, yeah, obviously. And but that, like, that's just, the crazy thing. Just at the start of the yeah. season, though, it's great to see because, you know, no, I'm sorry, but, like, <laughs> Astro fans are the worst. Like, it's so they're so annoying. Like, your team cheated, and then you're going to sit there and be like, yeah, what series? Like, no, shut up. I don't know. They, they still looked pretty good last year, and I don't. As far as I know, everybody said they weren't cheating last hey, year, too. Hey, so it's all hearsay. I guess, but who's who's to say that every team wasn't che- or cheating and it was just the Astros who got caught? That's all That's all I'm saying. I mean, you saw the Red Sox the next year got caught for it, too. So who's saying every team hasn't been doing it? You I know? guess. <laughs> Not the Cubs. I'm just saying. Well, those years... The Cubs weren't hitting anything, so I think that's just <laughs> that was the proof that they weren't doing it. We didn't it. have a Yachty to. No, it was Javi we Baez. We didn't have a Jordan Avalares, so. No, it was Javi Baez swinging at, you know, flies that were in front of him and 
Chris Bryant not wanting to play baseball and Anthony Rizzo looking sad. It was it was a tough time to be a Cubs fan then. But we're on the upturn, like we were saying. All right, folks. I think that's going to do it for us tonight. We'll see you guys next week. Next week, we'll have a bunch of our regular segments. This week, we just wanted to do a big power hour for you guys, get you up to date with everything that we missed talking about last week. Uh, again, if you like what we you heard tonight, tune in Tuesday, 8 to 10 next week, and we'll have another great show for you guys. See you then. Thanks for listening to the Blue Jay Blue Show. You can find us on Spotify, TikTok, and Instagram. See you next Tuesday.